Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry. This is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you be the best professional you can be, providing a mix of career and leadership coaching, courses, content, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Mark Mears, a visionary business leader with a track record of building stakeholder value by driving innovation and profitable growth. During his 30-plus year career, Serving in a variety of executive marketing and leadership positions, spanning both ad agencies and brands, he's gained a unique and well-rounded perspective while working for or with brands such as PepsiCo Pizza Hut, McDonald's, Frito-Lay, JCPenney, NBC Universal, and the Cheesecake Factory, among others. His personal experiences, along with the best practice observations of others, led him to start Leap Growth Ventures to apply a proven model that helps maximize the full growth potential of individuals, teams, and brands. Founded on four leaf growth processes, leadership, engagement, accountability, and fulfillment. This framework forms the basis of a book he has written called The Purposeful Growth Revolution, Four Ways to Grow from Leader to Legacy Builder. On a volunteer basis, Mark is involved with Conscious Capitalism, a global organization whose mission aligns with his own, elevating humanity through business. He also serves on several nonprofit boards with a heart for helping people grow into their full potential. He has a bachelor's degree in journalism and advertising from the University of Kansas and a master's degree in integrated marketing communications from Northwestern University. He lives in Kansas City. Mark, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much, JR. I appreciate it. Yeah, I do as well. Let's dive in. So let's start by talking about growth. You describe yourself as a growth junkie. So why are you so passionate about growth and and in what context? There's a great quote. I think it's by Phil Knight, who says, either you grow or you die. And so mm-hmm. I think we are always meant to continue to grow. And I believe to grow up into our purpose, which we'll talk a little bit about. But to answer your question about, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and his whole, you know, start with why movement he created years ago based on a famous right. Ted talk that's now become, you know, a thing. But I think he got something wrong, fundamentally wrong. Instead of starting with why, I believe we should start with who. And Mm. specifically, who we serve. I think that leads you to your why. So if you think about a four-circle Venn diagram, I think there's four realms of service as as I see it. There's spiritual, relational, personal, and professional. So those are the areas that I want to grow up into my purpose. So in that four-circle Venn diagram, the epicenter is purposeful growth. If I'm growing purposefully in each of those four areas, spiritually, relationally, professionally, and personally, Now I'm a whole person and not just an employee who's punching in and punching out and drawing a paycheck maybe every other week. I'm a whole person at work, just like I'm a whole person at home. And I think by looking at growth in each of those four realms of service, it gets you to this whole idea that at the end of the day, it's about service and humility. 
Humility is, I don't know everything. As a matter of fact, sometimes I don't even know what I don't know. So I want to grow and I want to learn, but I want to do so not just for my own benefit, but to be in service to others within each of those four realms. And I think certainly putting the two together, right? Purpose and growth, it gives you a force multiplier, an effect on either of those things individually. And your point about starting with who rather than starting with why gives you a, a bit more direction in terms of, to your point, who you're trying to serve. This is really the basis of your book, right? Purposeful Growth, The Purposeful Growth Revolution, Four Ways to Grow from Leader to Legacy Builders. Give us an overview of the book and sort of what prompted you to write it. There's a whole nature metaphor that revolves around the leaf. And I got this epiphany years ago when I was the president of a division of a publicly traded company. And it was a casual dining restaurant chain, about 145 locations, about a half a billion dollars in revenue. And I've been recruited from the Cheesecake Factory, where I served as senior vice president and chief marketing officer to take on this role of president and chief concept officer. It was all about turning the brand around, double-digit negative sales declines over a couple-year period, put a new brand positioning out there that could create a more youthful, more contemporary view of the brand with a new menu, and then also create kind of a new concept that the parent company could pump capital into for it to be a growth engine within their enterprise. All that sounded very good. I go there, build a team, and this is in Southern California, and uh, that'll mean something to you in a minute, but we turned the brand around from double-digit negative sales to positive growth. We created a brand new positioning that was very contemporary, much more youthful in the way people want to dine today, very experiential, and then a new concept that we a test market in place that earned its right for capital. The return on invested capital uh, pro forma was beaten by several months. We'd done everything we could do. And instead of them giving us the capital to grow, I got a call from the executive assistant to the CEO and, and she said, he's going to be you know, in your area. Can you guys meet? And it's like, wow, what's all this about? We meet and he said, Mark, the board's decided to move in a different direction. We've decided to put the brand up for sale or seek strategic alternatives. But don't worry, you're going to lead the process. And if someone buys us, then you and your team will most likely stay on because you'll be the reason for that sale to go through. And if no one does or not to the terms that we're looking for, then nothing changes. So go through this whole process and we find a strategic play, not a private equity firm, which we were all dreading, but a strategic play that we felt like would be our rightful owner, our rightful parent that could give us the pathway for growth, which is everything I was looking for when I left the Cheesecake Factory. The deal closed on a Friday after months of courtship. Finally, the deal closes. And on Monday at eight o'clock, I'm supposed to go in and talk to the CEO about our new plans together. At eight o'clock, I go in and at 8.05, I'm out the door. Decided to move in a different direction. Second time I've heard that. After all we put into it, living in Southern California, I drive home the next morning after a fitful night of sleep. This is February 21st, I think 2013, just about 10 years ago. And I go out after a fitful night of sleep, take the dog out, and we have a fig tree in our backyard that's barren from the six or seven weeks of winter we do get in Southern California. And as God is my witness, as the sun was coming up over the wall we had in our backyard, it shone on that barren fig tree. But there, on the end of one branch was this tiny little green sprig, Mm. a leaf just starting to bud. And it was there I got this epiphany that leaf is a symbol of growth and rebirth. 
And I took the dog inside and went to my office and started on my computer kind of banging out a treatment for leaf as a symbol of growth and rebirth. But also what it was, was an acronym. When I was leading that brand, I believed in the rule of threes, that if you focus on three things, you'll do three things really well. And that will focus the team and your productivity and your energy and your labor, everything about three things. And my three things were leadership, engagement, and accountability. Those are three things we're going to have to do to achieve these broad-based goals. And I used it each week in recognition and reward ceremonies, emails. Back then, we had broadcast voicemails, and it became a thing. It's Mark's thing. And we're all going to be aligned to it, leadership, engagement, and accountability. As I was starting to work on this treatment, I got to thinking, maybe there's a higher power of force because there's something missing here. We did everything we were asked to do, and the rug was pulled out from underneath us. And I thought, well, maybe there's an F for fulfillment. We were burning the candle at both ends. We were chasing numbers for the sake of numbers. We were tired, but it was a good kind of tired because we were all aligned to do something noble and grand that we could all be proud of. And we did all that and we didn't feel fulfilled because not only was I given the door, my whole team was. And then they ended up moving the office from Southern California. Everything they said they wouldn't do, they did. And so I got to thinking, it's not just leap as a symbol of growth and rebirth. All we learn it from high school or junior high science that all growth in a plant or a tree comes to belief through the magic of photosynthesis. So then I got to thinking leadership, engagement, accountability, and fulfillment is an acronym for LEAF. And again, like that four circle Venn diagram, purposeful growth is at the epicenter and leadership, engagement, accountability, and fulfillment are all four interwoven processes revolving around purposeful growth that will help an individual, a team, or a brand find purpose in fulfilling their true growth potential. That big tree in my backyard only knows how to be a fig tree. Its purpose is to grow in to the best fig tree it can be and grow fig leaves that will ultimately bear fig fruit. And fig fruit is not only sustenance for people, animals, et cetera, but inside there are seeds that can be scattered for future growth. That's where this concept came from. And it's really an intersection, if you will, between personal and professional growth. But in doing so, help make the world a better place, which is where this idea comes about creating a living legacy. Not waiting till you're dead, we think something of value to others after you're gone, but the great equalizer. I don't care, man, woman, gender, race, color, creed, nation, doesn't matter. The great equalizer is we all have 24 hours in a day. And how do we use those 24 hours to not only be a better leader of those we serve, who I mentioned, but how do we become legacy builders to where we're able to inspire others to replicate that? You're creating a ripple effect or a virtuous cycle of reciprocity, as I say, to help make the world a better place. And that's really what I'm here to do. I created a purpose statement a few years back, which said, I don't want to just make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. And that means making a difference in the lives of others, but inspiring them to want to do likewise. And that's where this idea of creating a living legacy comes from. Clearly, by the way, you're a marketing person. I like your purpose statement. Catchy. The nature metaphor is certainly apparent in the book. You call it a revolution, right? On the the book cover, you call it a revolution. Why do you see it as a revolution? I think it is because COVID really gave us all a bit of a timeout. Let's be honest. We were sheltered in place. 
sounds like you moved from your core house to your vacation house. And so life changed for all of us. We were fearful of the unknown because nothing like this had ever happened before in our lifetimes, right? Right. It got us thinking about not only what, but who matters most in our lives. Maybe we got COVID ourselves. Maybe we had a family member get hospitalized or God forbid someone we know or love actually died as a result. And so when things came back to quote unquote normal, we all swore I think that we were going to live life differently. We've seen up close and personal that we're mortal <laughs> and that tomorrow's not promised to any one of us. And so while that may have been going on internally, it was the Sloan School of Management at MIT that did this massive study of 34 million people who left the workforce during COVID and asked them a simple question, why? The number one answer, over 10 times more than the second most given answer, was toxic work environment. It's just like the old broadcast news line where you stand out the window, I'm mad as hell, I'm not gonna take it anymore. People decided, and by the way, compensation didn't come up till number 16 on their list. It was like, I've been accepting an unsatisfying status quo and I'm no longer willing to do so. I'm gonna make some changes in my life. I'm gonna make some changes in my work. And so why it's a revolution is the word revolution has three definitions that I found. One is an uprising in the people. We think about the French Revolution or American Revolution. Most of those happen from the ground up, from the people. And I think about the workplace today. We're in a new world of work and we're at historic low levels of unemployment. It's difficult to find and keep good people, but they're leaving toxic work environments and they're going to where they feel cared for. They feel like they matter According to Gallup, who does a state of the global workplace study every year, they said engagement is at historic low levels. And the reasons they're citing are lack of clarity of expectations, lack of connection to the mission or purpose of a company, lack of opportunities to learn and grow, as we were just talking, lack right. of opportunities to do what we do best. And then the kicker is lack of feeling cared about at work. This revolution is going on as an uprising of the people. That's the first definition. The second is a dramatic change in the status quo. Do you think we've had a little change in the status quo as a result of COVID with now people working remotely or hybrid or some form in between? And we survived on Zoom or whatever your digital platform may be over a couple year period. We were disconnected from the human touch. So a lot of disruption. And then finally, the last definition is a circular object orbiting another. That object that we're circling is ourselves and our purpose. And now we see that we want purpose in work. We don't want to just wait till what? We're asleep for a third, we're awake for a third, and we work for a third, and only the third that we're awake, we want to feel purposeful. We want to combine the two, and the research supports that. It's a revolution now for managers, those of us who went to business school, let's be honest, we learned how to be managers. We manage people, we manage budgets, we manage results, we manage deadlines and performance metrics. That's good and we have to, but we are now finding that leaders who are more humanistic are becoming better leaders. And that's great because that's what people want. They want someone who they can follow. They want someone who they can trust someone who can look out for them as a team member, not an employee or a worker or a staffer or God forbid, an FTE, but as a human being. I'm on this 
mission, if you will, to put the human back in human resources. And now with all this work on AI and augmented reality and, and big data, more than ever, we need to remember that at the end of the day, it's human beings. This is until the robots or zombies come take us away. It's our humanness that will prevail and make us more productive, more valuable, more satisfied, and yes, more fulfilled. That is the construct upon which the purposeful growth revolution is founded, and it is where the puck is going. And leaders, formerly managers, need to learn how to now be legacy builders. That's the next level. And to do that, I say, to put the human back in resources, all we need is love. And that stands for listen, observe, value, and empower. Listen to what your team member says, and also what they're not saying. All of us are whole people. We may have things going on in our life that we can't not bring into the workplace because we're human beings that may impact our performance. So if a leader is listening to their team member and asking good questions to really probe and building a relationship based on trust, that's the first step. The second is observe. Observe and coach and encourage in real time. Don't wait for the dreaded annual performance appraisal that no one likes, no one does well but do it in real time. And then the third is value. Again, value the whole person and give them opportunities to grow. And then finally empower to allow them to grow. You've got to give them opportunities and step back. Remember how we all learned how to ride a bike. If you're like me, I think I had a trike and others had a big wheel. They kind of got started with the idea. And then we got a bike, but it had training wheels because we weren't really ready yet. We kind of practiced on that. But I remember the day that my dad on a sidewalk said, okay, we're taking the training wheels off and I'm going to push you down uh, here. I'm going to stay with you and then I'm going to let you go. And he did. And then I wobbled and I fell a few times and, and he got me back up, said, you did great. Keep going. And I remember that feeling of freedom and accomplishment when I finally could pedal on my own. My whole world opened up to me as to places I could go you right. know, where I could just walk. So that sense of empowerment would be so fulfilling for us in the workplace. And then you wouldn't have lack of engagement. You wouldn't have quiet quitting. You would have people going, I love my job. I love who I work with. I love who I work for because I know they love me in that sense. Listen, observe, value, and empower. And that's great leadership, people would say. Well, no, If you're doing it in a way that you're planting seeds in someone that they go and do likewise, you're actually becoming a legacy builder, a living legacy builder. And that, to me, is what it's all about in this new world of work. The genie's not going back in the bottle. I think about you've been in the work world 30 plus years. I've been in the work world Mm -hmm. 30 plus years. I feel like the definition of leadership or perceptions of what good leadership is and what bad leadership is have changed a lot in the last 30 years. And yet, as you say, I mean, the Gallup survey results, at best, they've been flat. They probably, as you said, took a dip during COVID time when everybody probably were harder graders maybe than they normally would be. But the reality is, I mean, we've tried all these things. We've sent a generation of people, more than a generation of people to business school. We've done all this leadership development training. And yet we have this situation where engagement in particular doesn't really move, right? It hasn't really improved. And to me, that's one of the, in some ways, the great tragedies of our work world, but also one of the the paradoxes, because I feel like 
leadership capabilities have to let developed in the last generation. You know, since I was a fresh out of college, starting in the workforce, in my case, yeah. in the military. Mm-hmm. But yet, we don't seem to necessarily have moved the needle in terms of engagement. Why do you think that is? Is it about the planting, lack of planting seeds, lack of yes. thinking about legacy, or is there something more to yeah. it than that? Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Being in the military, I never had the honor, but I have really good friends who taught me so many different lessons and told me so many different stories about you know what it was like. And the key is you probably know a lot better than most of us about what command and control means within a military context, right? It's not just we may not make our numbers this quarter. It, it may be we might have people die on our watch. And so you have to follow the leader, so to speak. And command and control was the way to do that. And I really think it started from the GIs coming back from World War II and getting into business and just saying, that's the way we did it in the military. That's the way we're going to do it now. That's been the favored management style, not leadership style, but management style for several years. We revere iconic managers such as Jack Welch at GE, or if you're like me or old enough to remember Lee Iacocca, who turned around Chrysler in the mid-80s, or even most recently, Stephen Jobs, who created arguably one of the most valuable companies in the world in Apple. I'm not sure their style would work today with the way younger people want to work and want to be treated. And in our day, we just thought that's the way things were. We accepted it as just the sacrifice and cost of doing business and climbing the ladder in your career. You salute and execute. I did. And I learned that I had some wonderful mentors who did it differently. And I said, what's different about them? And why do I want to run through a brick wall for them? Because they were true leaders. They were inspiring. They didn't just say, do this because I said so, because this is what the order of magnitude of stripes on your shirt say you you should do. It was, I want you to do this because it's the right thing to do, and I want you to want to do this. And I remember uh, David Novak, who was my leader. I don't use the word boss unless someone really is a boss at Pizza Hut when I was young in my career. He was the head of marketing, and I reported to another gentleman, but next up was him. And just the inspiration he gave everybody of how to accomplish our goals, why it's important, and why it's important for you to be part of this team. Created a sense of duty in a different way. Not duty because you have to, but duty because you get to. And if you do, look what we will all do and win together as a team. I saw that it could be done differently. And I had another person who was a boss, and I saw that command and control style and that micromanagement style and that gotcha style of, I want to keep you in your place because I'm here and you're here. And I didn't like that. I learned throughout my 30-some year career what I liked, what I didn't like. I accepted and built upon what I liked. I got rid of what I didn't like. And now I have a different perspective today. And that's why I wrote this book, because I want to, like a sponge, pick all of my experiences, observations of those I admire, a curation of research and subject matter experts who are can go deeper and wider than I can go and create this new model for purposeful growth. And why it's important is, again, I'll come and use statistics that I use in the book. There's a group called the Science of Purpose. And the summation of their thesis is that individuals with a connection to their purpose experience 63% increase in wealth, leadership, effectiveness, and fulfillment. 
They learn twice as much and are four times more engaged. And get this, are 175% more productive. That's almost two people worth. That's individually. But the case for purposeful growth within companies is that the connection to their purpose, those who have a connection to their purpose, experience higher margin as purposeful firms are 30% more innovative. 73% of their customers will switch to higher purpose brands and pay more. And they experience higher levels of retention and tenure, which is what we're talking about with engagement and 54 more fulfilling work relationships, which we know Gallup says is an indicator of higher and deeper level of engagement. The statistics suggest, not Mark Mir suggests, that people want purpose at work and more purposeful companies are more profitable. So it's not either or, it's purpose and profit. And I think that's really the case to be made. This isn't just a bunch of namby-pamby, tree-hugging, seal-loving, do-gooders. This is real money. And these are real lives being changed, not only within the team members of the company, but within the communities and indeed the world in many cases. Business as a source for good. And that's why I also joined Conscious Capitalism, Inc., whose mission aligns very closely with my own, which is elevating humanity through business. Governments haven't proven effective at getting after the world's major issues. Nonprofits and religious organizations can only do so much. But I believe businesses have the resources and the reach and the potential to fulfill their financial obligations, but also in doing so, leave a positive, lasting legacy of purpose that will impact the world for years to come. Well, taking your point that you made earlier, that it's important to figure out who you're serving relative to Simon Sinek's Start With Why, this is, I think, why that TUD talk and the work he's done on that topic more generally resonated so, so much with people. I mean, you have two bosses, right? And I'll use the word boss intentionally. You know, Who would you rather work for? The one who says, do it because I'm the boss and I told you, or do it because here's why this matters. The second one is giving you purpose. And this generation of kids who are coming into the workforce, right? Gen Z and the millennials ahead of them, even the Gen X generation that I'm part of, we all saw our parents. The social contract that existed back in the 60s, the 50s and the 60s, after all those GIs came back from World War II, as you were mentioning, it's a completely different social contract today. You don't have a job for life. You don't have a pension. All those things are gone, right? And it's changed dramatically. So it's turned a very paternalistic work world into a much more of a you have to take care of yourself work world. And we've made it increasingly a world of free agent. We all move more freely among jobs more than we used to. You've got more people in the gig economy not participating in a traditional kind of corporate one job kind of situation. And I think that trend continues. I think it's been enabled by technology. We've proved you can you can find opportunities through matching platforms. You can work at least part of the time remotely in, in a lot of industries. And this part, I would agree with what you said earlier. That's the revolution that certainly happened. Yes. And it just makes the whole premise of this is a two-way street, much more so than, than it used to be. And if you're a leader or you're a company and you don't really get that, you're going to struggle to keep the people yes. that you really want to keep because they're going to go find someplace else to work. That's what's going on. I talked to a lot of people and say, Mark, all this sounds good, but in my organization, I can't imagine our C-suite get behind what you're talking about. It's just not the way it's been. And having been in the C-suite for over 20 years, I get it. 
there's a lot of protectionism. I worked really hard to get here. I'm not going to let right. someone tell me that my style or my whatever is wrong. And then I can't admit it because then I'll look weak and it's real. Okay. But here's what's going to happen to your point is we know that labor is either the number one or number two line item on anyone's you know, P&L, right? Depending on your industry. And so the cost of replacing, identifying, hiring, training, recognizing, rewarding, and retaining team members is going up and up and up as salaries are going up and up and up. And I think inflation and trying to hold on to good people has created this escalating effect. And so if you then look at this and study it and say, people are our greatest assets and our people are this, and you don't treat them that way, they're going to go elsewhere and you're going to have a real problem. In my experience, tenured teams are the most profitable. And it sounds obvious because they probably work closer together and longer together. They have a ownership and a stake in the outcome. They're more right. empowered because they've been around longer, so they don't need as much oversight. That's what you want to build in any organization. The wake-up call will come when the numbers aren't there. And if you're publicly traded, uh, there's nowhere to hide. If you're privately owned, yep, there's a couple places you can hide for a while, but not forever. Managers are going to have to learn how to be leaders, and leaders are going to have to learn how to be legacy builders. And that's the way to perpetuate growth in any enterprise, regardless of what industry you may be in. We talked a bit about leadership and we talked a bit about engagement. Let's get to the A part of your LEAF framework, accountabilities. Accountability can mean a lot of different things. How do you think about it and in what context do leaders need to both demonstrate and expect accountability? Great question. And, and this is really, if you think about the LEAF model, the L in LEAF stands for leadership. And there are four C's, clarity, connection, communication, and commitment that all lead to alignment. Engagement is the trunk and the branches of that particular tree. So if leadership is the seed and the root system, which you have to have a strong root system as a foundation for growth, you now have to have the trunk, the branches, and the system of nourishment, which is called savia. And translated from Spanish to English, that means lifeblood. Well, what's the lifeblood of any organization? It's people. That's where engagement it means engaging your heart, head, hands, and habits that leads to empowerment. And now we get to accountability, which is the leaf and fruit. That's the results of that fig tree in my backyard. Again, it only knows how to be a fig tree. And it's judged on how it grows strong and tall and bears fig fruit based on the growth of its leaves. That means outcomes, measuring what matters most. It means obstacles. What happens when you run into a problem or an issue like COVID, <laughs> or maybe you're off plan after the first quarter, how do you get back on? What are the obstacles that you need to clear to get back on the growth path? And then it's outliers. Who can we study who have best practices we can learn from as to how we can do what we currently do to the best of our ability? And that's great, except for you have obsolescence, which you want to avoid through innovation and creating future growth initiatives. Accountability isn't just about the numbers. It's about what you do with them. It's about how you learn from others. And it's how you put a process in place, not just random, but intentionally. What's your process for innovation and growth? How do you look beyond this quarter to quarter treadmill and invest in future growth? That leads to achievement. And then finally, fulfillment is all about people 
places, process, and performance, which is that fertile environment where growth can occur. And if you think about an environment, we talk about culture a lot. Well, I believe words matter, and you'll get that throughout the book. But we talk a lot about culture, and it's not a bad word. I use it in the book, but I've since learned a better word is community. You see, a culture may just be a place we feel like we are a part of, not bad, but a community is a place where we feel like we belong. You see the difference? So think about DEI. Diversity just gets us in the door. Equity gives us an equal voice that's good. Inclusion gets us a seat at the table, better yet. But if we don't feel like we belong, then we're likely not going to be vulnerable enough to give of our very best. We may not want to rock the boat. Oh, it's like Hamilton. We're just happy to be in a room where it happens. That's the whole Lee framework. But going back to accountability, everybody wants to learn how to be a better leader. Why do I know that? Well, if you Google the word leader or leadership, you get seven point whatever billion hits with the B. It's a billion dollar industry plus, plus, plus. Webinars, seminars, blogs, blogs, podcasts, newsletters, et cetera, where people want to learn how to be better leaders. Obviously books too, right? And then you think about this idea of engagement. Well, we just talked about that. It's important. Whether people think it's a buzzword or not, it's not. It's real. And it is something that leads directly to profitability. And that's where you get to accountability. And so this idea of accountability, people like, okay, well, now it's time to go to lunch. I don't want to talk about that. Well, you have to. If you're in business, you're in business to make a profit on top of making your community better, et cetera. But you're there to make a profit really drilling down into the outcomes. What are we trying to achieve? And not just the lag measures, which is sales or profit, it's the lead measures. Like, what do we need to do to get there? And how do we measure it? And how do we be transparent? And how do we communicate it? So everybody understands the scorecard and they know their role in it. And then, as I mentioned, obstacles is like, what are we going to do to be agile? If there's a government regulation that gets passed, oops, that may hurt or maybe there's a global pandemic, as I mentioned, or maybe there's some sort of lawsuit or whatever, or patent infringement. You've got to find a way to get back on track to fulfill your growth objectives. And then the outliers I mentioned, we have a business model. How can we learn from others and do it better? The best story I heard about that was Southwest Airlines. When they were kind of really growing, they had this hub and spoke system, right? They started out right. in Texas and they grew because they had a short haul mentality. They didn't fly long at that point. And so they couldn't study American or Delta or United because they had different business models. Who did they study? Well, I learned that they went to Charlotte, North Carolina and studied NASCAR because NASCAR was all about getting people into the pit and out as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. And so for that business model for Southwest to work, they had to get the planes into the gate and service the people off, the new people on safely and take off again for that business model to work. And so there's a great example of best practices can be right under your nose through your team members that are already in the workplace. Right. It could be within your competitive set. It could be outside of your competitive set. And it can even be outside of your industry, like Southwest and NASCAR. And then right. finally, this idea of innovation. It's obsolescence. What is R Us today? Where's Kodak today? Where is Nokia today? Where's Blackberry today? I could go on and on and on, Circuit City. These are formerly high-flying brands that were leaders in their category that are now obsolete. Where are they? I don't know how many are still around. And if they are, 
what their stock might be trading at. If they didn't see around the corner and put processes in place, Blockbuster Video saw this coming, but decided to keep the real estate strategy and not go into a digital world. And Netflix is here today. Blockbuster is not. All of that leads to this overall idea of achievement, but it's not one of those things like that four circle Venn diagram, outcomes, obstacles, outliers, and obsolescence all revolving around purposeful growth is what I call the purposeful accountability revolution within the greater purposeful growth revolution. You've covered the four aspects of leave, leadership, engagement, accountability, fulfillment, and the fulfillment section or the latter part of the book about the idea of emphasizing we over me. Does that go back to this idea of community versus culture, or is yes. there more to it than, than that for you? Yeah, I think I remember back as a, a young exec growing up, it was about me. I'm being honest. And it was about, I got promoted, so there are higher expectations for me. And so now I've got a team, and what can they do to help me achieve my objectives, right? And it didn't come across in an autocratic or narcissistic way. It's just that's the way it was. Yeah. And then as I got older and more mature and really had these good mentors who walked alongside me and showed me there was a different way, I realized it really is all about we. I have this last chapter about going from me go to we growth, and that's how we grow together. And I think that's really what it's all about. Again, is flipping the script through humility and service and saying, as a leader, indeed a legacy builder, I'm here to support you, my team members. It's not about you're here to support me. I'm here to support you. And if I demonstrate love by listening, observing, valuing, empowering you, now we flip the script to where we will grow together because you're going to want to run through a brick wall as I did for David Novak years ago. It reminded me of that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yep, you're dead on. That's true. And some of us have hard heads and sometimes we it takes us a little longer to understand the importance of certain concepts. And for me, thankfully, I believe I caught it years ago and, and now I'm able to write and talk about it because I've seen it work. It right. wasn't like I just woke up yesterday and had this epiphany. It was years of now cultivating a different leadership style and then recently thinking about it from more of a legacy perspective about, hey, I know how I felt when I had good mentors. Well, they impacted me. Some of them didn't even know they they did until I told them years later. And they're in the back of my book and the acknowledgements. And so I want to make sure that people, your listeners understand that, again, 24 hours is a great equalizer. We all have the power to move from manager to leader, but also take it a next step and create a living legacy that one day when all is said and done, you're going to feel a sense of deep fulfillment that you have fulfilled your purpose. And I think that is going to be a great feeling. So talk about the work that you do in your company, Leaf Growth Ventures. Do you tend to work with individuals? Do you work more with companies or is it a mix of both? It's a mix of both. I say there's four ways to grow with me because I now believe in the higher power force. There's four chambers to the human heart. There are four seasons, not three. There are four directions, not three. And there are four elements to an atom, the source of life, not three. And I could go on and on with this foreplay, but you get the idea. Four Ways to Grow is the book. It's available on Amazon. And I just yesterday finished my last recording session that in January about it'll come out on audiobook. 
And then the second is speaking. I do keynote speeches. They're actually keynotes. They could be workshops, et cetera, et cetera. But also business consulting. So I'll consult with everyone from C-level management to middle management, as well as individual coaching for those who you know, maybe want something more individual, more personal. And I'm working also on this online platform that will help people learn how to build their own purposeful growth plan. And it's founded upon a self-assessment, a purposeful growth self-assessment you can find on my website, which is markamears.com. Right there on the homepage, you can click on a link that will take you to your own purposeful growth self-assessment. takes about five or six minutes, but when you're done, you can immediately download a PDF of your customized results. So you can kind of see where you stand on this whole concept of purposeful growth, but also you can see how aligned your company is within these certain areas that you can see, is there a fit or there's some sort of disconnect? And right. can that disconnect be resolved? Or maybe you might have to look at moving somewhere else to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment at work as you want to have in your life. There are a variety of different ways we can work together. And I would love for your listeners to link in with me. I do a monthly newsletter as well. As they could subscribe to as well as just connect with me and we'll start a dialogue and see if this is something that you're interested in learning more about. What prompted you to make this switch into this after the years of working for ad agencies and, and for brand-based companies, particularly in the restaurant industry? It's an idea that's been chasing me since that epiphany that I got in my backyard yeah. with that fig tree. And I really feel like this is a calling that I've been called to do this. And it's no secret how I arrived at my purpose statement. I don't want to just make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. I think it would be criminal if I just went to my grave and said, well, I got mine and not give it back in some way. So I call it paying it backward. And most people are like, Mark, I know you like words, but what do you mean by that? I say pay it backward, and you'll read this in the book, because when I go to Starbucks, not only am I a growth junkie, I'm a coffee junkie, and I love Starbucks as well. I go through the drive-thru, I will pay for the car behind me. And when I go to the window, I'll tell the barista, I'm paying for the car behind me, but I just want you to do one thing. And they'll say, what's that? I said, just tell them, God bless you, your debt has been paid. And then I'll drive off and I'll say a silent prayer for that person. I don't know them, they don't know me. I don't know what kind of day they're having or what they may be going through in their life. But I got to believe in that moment, they feel blessed knowing that someone cared about them. And then to have that saying, God bless you, your debt has been paid, it, it takes it to a new level. And not only did that person maybe feel blessed, but it's kind of the law of reciprocity, where if someone does something nice for you, according to the law, you feel a deep sense of responsibility even to maybe do something nice for someone else and oftentimes in greater measure. I've been told that Simple, yet intentional, not random, act of kindness creates a ripple effect as cars down the line pay for each other. Now, you've exponentially created from that one, not random, but intentional act of kindness, because I do it every time, that's going to enrich and bless more people's lives. And don't you think that barista would tell the people, hey, look what just happened? And don't yeah. you think the people in the cars would tell others, look what just happened? That's really the idea of paying it backward and why I feel like my purpose really is not to just have had all these great experiences, made some money, built some relationships, and now go play golf and worry about riding off into the sunset. I don't want to do that. 
I want to make a difference and inspire. And I'm hoping that our talk today will not only make a difference in some of the lives of your listeners, but inspire them to want to carry this message forward as they pay it backward in their life. And the reason I say pay it backward, because I can't literally pay it forward. The car in front of me is already driven off. You also, you create ripple effects, right? I mean, you talked earlier this notion of the fig having seeds, the seeds become the next generation of fig trees. Leaders plant seeds and create the next generation of leaders. That ripple effect tends to grow over time if if it truly plays out its potential as a ripple effect. And over time, you hope that that impact grows. And I've also, I was thinking as you were talking about that, about that story about the woman who I think she started with like a paperclip and she got somebody to trade a paperclip for something else. And then she traded that something else or something a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And ultimately she traded a paperclip through a series of like 30 trades for a house. And it was just, everybody felt like they were making just a a little give. It wasn't like she went and said, I have a paperclip, I want your house. She did it through (laughs) a series of things that all felt incremental to the people that she was trading with at the time, enough that they were willing to give. But over time, those gifts became bigger and bigger and bigger because she started with more from each of the prior exercises of bartering. It's fascinating that somebody was literally able to do this in real life, right? This isn't like a a biblical parable or anything like that. This is like something that happened in the modern world. And it, it just speaks to the power of those gestures of kindness, whether you call it paying forward or paying backward, that can have a, an impact long after your own. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that. The parable of the talents in the Bible was one of my daughter's favorite stories I would tell them at bedtime. And they just love the idea that all of us are given different gifts, but it's not about looking at other people. It's about just looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, I don't know how many talents I was given, but all I want to do is multiply them. Yeah. At the end of the day, I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Right. Come enter into the joy of your master. And so that paperclip example is a perfect one. And I'll bet you there are thousands of entrepreneurs who can say, I started with an idea. I was losing. I was burning cash until I got something going. And then this led into this. And then I bought this and added this. And then now they may be wildly successful, but they did go wake up the next day and be wildly successful. They go through a period of trials and tribulations or what I call FUD in my book, which is a chapter that says, get the FUD out. And FUD is another acronym. You can tell I like acronyms, but I think they create mind handles that you can grab onto. But it stands for fear, uncertainty, doubt, and delay. The fear of failure, or what will they think? The uncertainty of risking what I currently have, which may even be an unsatisfying status quo for what I feel called to do. The doubts that are like background voices that like wet cement begin to harden when we start to listen and believe them that say you're not good enough, you know, isn't success for other people who wants to hear from you. And then that, all that leads to delay. Who wants to deal with all that? We'll just give ourselves a shot of dopamine to feel good in the moment. We'll cover that later. So right. many people don't grow into their full potential because they let FUD cloud them and the fear, uncertainty, doubt, and delay can be overcome with Faith can overcome fear and hope can overcome uncertainty and belief can overcome doubt and action, indeed purposeful action, can overcome the paralysis of delay. That's really why I feel called to do this. And I've gone through it myself. I mentioned to you that Epiphany hit me over 10 years ago 
And I just got this book done last year. I'd been yeah. working on it off and on, off and on. Didn't know I was ever going to really write a book. It was kind of a cathartic hobby while waiting for my next opportunity that then became something I would do on vacation or a long weekend. And I would put it down, go back and take another C-level job. And they'd come back and say, yeah, this is, I really got something here. But no, my FUD got in the way, you know, mm. and I didn't act on it. Well, now I have, and I know it works. I had faith to conquer my fears. The hope I have in my eternal future and the belief I have in not only my higher power, but myself that was given to me through the gifts that have been imbued in me since I was born and that I've tried my best to cultivate over time and then taking action and finally saying, I'm done with the W-2 world here. I know I'm going to focus on this. It's more about we growth than me go. And I'm going to get this fixed and I can learn how to do hard things. It is not easy writing a book. The writing was the easiest part. It's the publishing. It's the editing. It's the all that goes along oh, with yeah. it and promoting oh, it. Yeah. And I remember a little over a year ago when I got this box from Amazon at my front door. And it was my first proof of the finished book. And I opened it up and there was the book with my name on it. And I felt like a kid at Christmas. Yeah, Later when I, I promoted imagine. it. And it achieved number one bestseller status. I was just like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine that there would be so many people who craved for this message at this particular time. When I look back, I could say, well, I was a slacker because I didn't get it done earlier. But I'll tell you, God's timing is better than my timing. And you can't say a lot good about COVID, but I will tell you that if I had published this and released it before COVID, it might have been nice, but people would have looked at me like the dog with the crooked head, like, what? Yeah. But now that we've all experienced COVID, I think, as I mentioned, people are looking for something different, something better for their lives and work. And how do you meld the two together in a way that's purposeful, yet profitable? And that's right. really what I'm all about for as long as I have breath, is to continue to lead the purposeful growth revolution and hopefully put the human back in human resources through the simple concept called love. All right. Well, that's a good summation and probably a good place for us to close. So thank you for doing this with me today. Excellent. I appreciated it. Great questions. Again, I, I pray your uh, your audience will get uh, significant value from this and, and hopefully pay it backwards. I'm sure they will. And you were right that I only got to a sampling of my questions. And so <laughs> <laughs> there's probably fodder for another conversation on another day. I would look forward to it. Really uh, enjoyed talking to you, getting to meet you a little bit before the call and wish you and your family uh, all the very best and all your listeners out there. Keep moving forward, not backward. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark. My pleasure. I want to thank Mark for joining me today to cover his work and his book, The Purposeful Growth Revolution, his LEAF framework, his own career journey, and the many things he's learned along the way, which he has clearly encapsulated into a series of acronyms and fours. If you'd like to make the most of your career, visit pathwise.io and become a member. Basic membership is free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. 
We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.